Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, I actually had the opportunity of getting interviewed by the one and only Gavin Hamer. This man created Sendable.com, built it as the founder, built an incredible culture, and then exited the business and is on to his newest project, which is StoryPrompt.com. This man is absolutely phenomenal, and I was so honored to have the opportunity to be on his show. We talk about culture, building cultures, and how you could sustain a culture for the life of your business. Hopefully you enjoy it, share it with every one of your friends. Thank you again for listening. And what I say to founders is, if you're not intentional with your culture, then you're intentional with your culture. Meaning that if you're not intentional on what you want, then you're intentional on getting what you don't want. And culture is something that for me, is a living, breathing organism that will continue to grow over time. And if we look at it as a simple set of rules, that's where we'll fall off and we'll become robotic as opposed to being a person that will lift people up and bring joy to them. So today I'm super excited to have Kelly Cardenas on the show. Kelly is a Forbes contributor, author, podcaster, founder, CEO of national multi-million dollar brand, and a cultural efficiency coach. Um, so for listeners who don't know you, uh, could you share a bit about your background and kind of what you do? I'm an optimistic kid from a really small town. Um, I wear rose-colored glasses all the time, and I try and spread as much joy and happiness into people's lives as possible. So just in terms of your, your background, like where, where did you come to realize that sort of uh, philosophy on life? I think it was because of my, I mean, when I say I think, it was because of my parents. Um, I grew up in a small town, like I said, and... Um, you know, we didn't have all the resources in the world. My dad bought dog clippers and uh, thought we could shave the dog. We ended up turning the clippers on ourselves and uh, it turned out really bad. And then I became the hairdresser. My other brother who cut my hair the first time became a lawyer and the other one became a doctor. And so that's been the pattern of my life, not really having a plan per se, um, but being able to go with the flow, be in the moment. And that's something that my parents taught me through three simple principles that I was awesome, disconnected from my accomplishments, that I was beautiful, don't compare yourself to anybody else, and that anything that I put my mind to that I had the ability to do, but just because I could do it didn't make it my purpose. So as long as I was in line with my purpose, everything would work out. So how would you define your, your purpose right now? Like, How would you like to find Kelly Cardenas? I make people happy. Um, <laughs> that's what I, I broke it down. I wanted to do it to the lowest common denominator, Gavin. And you know, put it in a place where everyone asks me like, what's your thing? And my thing is people. And, um, I want to make sure that, you know, every single person, um, that is out there, I want to make sure that if I come in contact with them through audio or video or in person, that they leave more filled up and more encouraged than they were when they came in contact with me in the first place. So obviously we, we have, we have quite a few founders, entrepreneurs listening to this. Um, they'd obviously love to have that same sort of impact with their teams that are obviously reporting to them. Any tips that you can give or any tactics to maybe kind of create that happiness in the lives of the people that they impact? Well, I think the joy part is is staying in touch with the the little kid inside of all of us, right? And mm. and also too, it's being intentional. And when I say this, you don't have to be intentional as far as, you know, putting a structure in play where you've scheduled out every second of every day because then you won't be a human being. But mm. what I am saying is be intentional about the culture that you ultimately want. Like the culture that I want in my family is I want to make sure that my kids know that they're loved, that they have a springboard to be able to do whatever it is that they want. And so what we did is we put a couple processes in line, like around the dinner table every night. 
um, when we sit down for dinner, we say something positive about each person and everyone says about that person. Then we go around the table to the next person. We do it around this way. The reason why I did this though is because that's the way I built my company in the first place. I was intentional about the type of culture that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And what I say to founders is if you're not intentional with your culture, then you're intentional with your culture. Meaning that if you're not intentional on what you want, then you're intentional on getting what you don't want. And mm -hmm. culture is something that for me is a living, breathing organism that will continue to grow over time. And if we look at it as a simple set of rules, that's where we'll fall off and we'll become robotic as opposed to being a person that will lift people up and bring joy to them. Mm. So, I mean, obviously I, I had my own principles for hiring at Sendable. You know, we had a, a really strong culture. People were given freedom, autonomy. Um, obviously we had a vision and they had purpose. What sort of um, things do you look for when you're hiring cultural fit would you say like how would a how would an entrepreneur or a manager approach making sure whoever they hire into the company is going to fit that sort of culture i think it would be look in the mirror first um yeah. because i think a lot of founders and uh people are out there that are trying to create cultures that they are not and um i think that a, a founder a owner i think we have to take time we have to uh, we have to spend a lot of time alone anyway it's a lonely thing mm. when you're a founder or an entrepreneur that way um but take time for you get to know the condition of your heart because you can't create a culture that you don't embody yourself. And so mm. when you do that, what you'll, what will happen is what I, what I started to look for is I started to look for those traits that I wanted to, to have. It doesn't mean that you can't improve yourself or that you can't, you know, shoot for the stars, but I can tell you this, there's a lot of people out there that I watch them and they create a company and they're like, our culture is freedom. Our culture is this, our culture is that. And then I look at the founder of it and the culture, the founder doesn't embody any of those things. And there, then all it is, is just a list of rules on a, a plaque in the back. And this is what so many companies have, as opposed to having a living, breathing uh, culture and a culture. Uh, what I find is, is it's nothing more than the procedures that you have are nothing more than a list of your screw ups anyway. And when we get to that humble spot and we realize that all the procedures, all the things we did, it's because we screwed up before. So mm -hmm. we stay humble, but you can't create a humble culture if you're not a humble person. And so look mm -hmm. in the mirror first. I think, yeah, I think from my point of view, something I did actually at Sendable was when we were, it was a period when we were hiring the wrong sort of cultural fit. So we had a few like bad hires who affected the culture in a bad way. People started quitting. And I learned how to kind of build a strong culture based on values, based on those, those qualities that didn't really fit. It's often if you look at what, what doesn't work to figure out what actually works. You know, I, I, like if you're looking back at your career, are there any sort of um, things you'd wish you had done differently in the past, things you've learned now that maybe you, you in hindsight would have done differently? I think I would have slowed down. Um, I think that entrepreneurs and founders, we're always about growth and we're always about charging on to the next. And, um, you know, in Jim Collins book, the, how the mighty fall, which didn't sell that well, the good to great sold well. But mm. when you talk about, uh, how the mighty fall, most people didn't read the follow-up and the follow-up was that he chronicled all those good to great businesses and how they actually fell. And they had five things in line that all of them did. And one of them was hubris. And when you, when you have hubris in you, thinking that just because you succeeded one time that you're going to succeed again, that's where we start to have challenges. And I fell into that, um, mm -hmm. you know, growth mindset. What I would tell myself, if I was to found the company again, slow down, it's all going to work out. <laughs> it's going to be exactly what you want and even more. So slow mm -hmm. down and make sure that every bit of focus that you have is on making sure that the people inside the company 
have the highest amount of joy and you'll create and you'll draw out the best creativity. You'll draw out the best work ethic. You'll draw out the best of everything in them. Mm. If you simply focus on the joy and slowing down. That's kind of easier said than done though, right? If you're, if you're a busy <laughs> founder trying to run your business, trying to close deals, you know, well, that's why, why, that's why Gavin is so easy to look back. You know what I mean? Like you just said, look back. I wasn't looking forward and I was looking back on that. One. If, you, if you took that sort of advice, like how would you, balance things differently now like what sort of percentage of time would you allocate to culture versus actually kind of growing the, the, the bottom line of the business well I, I think that you know we need to when we're when we're in the business uh, you know people talk about those things as far as balance I don't believe in it at all I don't, I've never mm -hmm. believed in balance I believe that people try and balance they always fail in everything and when I say this um, if you take a water bottle and you have it half full and then you tip it over and you try and balance it you're only going to get 50 percent of the water on both sides of the 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 bottle. But what I say is turn the bottle over, meaning that you compartmentalize. You focus 100% wherever you are at the particular time and be present because there's no system that will ever be able to figure out an individual in your company. Now, there's mm. systems, but again, those systems and those procedures are nothing more than a list of all the screw-ups. And when you communicate that to the people, then they have freedom to create, to innovate, to try new things. And this is what we said in our company when we were growing it. We'll try this thing. And if it works, we'll keep doing it. If it sucks, simply stop. But mm. write down why it sucks. And then mm. it becomes your new procedure. This will create a lifetime of growth as opposed to a flash in the pan. Um, looking back, what would you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from that? Uh, I mean, I, I think that my whole career, uh, I, I look at it like when I say failure, I, when I say this, people are going to be like, no, you're a good guy. No, I think my whole career is a failure, which is awesome because it's a lesson, right? I've left millions of dollars on the table. Um, I've made silly decisions. I've got my, my, Company has been robbed before, uh, you know, five, six times. Um, I've closed more businesses than I've opened. Um, you know, so those kind of things are, are massive. I think that probably one of the one of the biggest things was is getting to a point where I loved the systems and I managed the people. And you see, I got it backwards. Hmm. You've got to love the people and simply manage the systems. And let's go back to it, Gavin. I'll repeat it again. The systems are nothing more than a list of your screw ups. So just manage those, but love the people. Give love and data. Work with your heart and mind. And when you have it in unison, although sometimes to most people, to some people, they'll say, well, that's not scalable. Well, hmm. humans aren't scalable. But when you focus on people, they're the common denominator in every successful business. There's never been a successful business that doesn't have people in it. And if you simply focus on the people, everything will work out. Do you, do you have like a, a concrete example of where you didn't focus on the people? Maybe something that happened where you were like maybe neglecting the people and focusing on the process. Ab oh, 100%. I had, a, I had a young lady. She was awesome. Uh, her name was Diana. And um, she was a, a director in our Chicago location. And she had a, a church event that she needed to go to, but she had some reports that she needed to do. Well, I called her and I said, I need the reports done. She said, well, I'm going to church and I'll do them after. I said, no, you need to do them before. And I was so focused on her getting them in on the time frame that I wasn't looking at the person that was needing to be filled up by going to this church event, by doing these things. And then she was going to do the procedure afterwards. And I tell you what happened was it deteriorated our, our, our relationship. And over mm -hmm. time, there was an expiration date put on that relationship as opposed to me saying that, you know, listen to the person, listen to where they were at. And again, put the procedure behind the person, mm. manage the system, love the people. So we actually introduced remote working way before COVID happened. 
Um, and I had friends who were saying, Gavin, how can you introduce remote working? How can you trust your team? You can't see what they're doing. Uh, but I, I always believe that if you give autonomy, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's, it's, if they're delivering the, the outcome that you're looking for, it doesn't matter how they get there, as long as that outcome is delivered. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you on that point. You know, if, if they're happy and they're, if they feel comfortable and they're in their own space at home, who cares if they're wearing the pajamas or they're wearing a suit <laughs> or if you can see them or you can't see them, you know? Um, for me, it was just if they're happy, they'll deliver the work and they'll, they'll kind of get the job done. Well, I, I, I agree with you. And what I want to tell founders out there too, though, is I understand the, the opposite side of it because there is this culture right now that we live in. And this is a very unpopular uh, way of uh, speaking about it, but there is this culture that thinks that, hey, I don't have to go to work. I don't have to do any of these things. And I just get to do whatever. I'm going to make up all my own rules. That's not the way I ran my company. I don't think that that'll be a successful company. I believe that it's just about communication. But it's communication early on. When you, If you don't clearly communicate to somebody what the, what the procedures are, which is just a list of the screw-ups, and then you pop them, and then you pop them on something later on, they're going to take it personal. And once it becomes personal, there becomes an expiration date on your relationship. But what I would suggest is even if you have very strict, like the Four Seasons, when you, if you work at the Four Seasons, you can't work from home. You can't be in your pajamas. You've got you've to have a uniform. You've got to speak a certain way. I believe in these type of cultures. I believe in cultures, but we have to realize that if we take the time and we have uninhibited, constant communication, it'll break down all walls, but it's got to be preemptive. Because I've found, I, I failed in this before where I had a procedure in my mind. I didn't communicate it to the new hire and then they were out of line and then I popped them and they were like, why are you targeting me? I wasn't targeting them, but I was to them because I didn't communicate it clearly before it started. So what I would suggest is whatever your culture is, if it's super strict, if it's, if it's kind of uh, you know military feel or it's more relaxed, it just has to be communicated. My dad told me this, and my pops is what I call him, Gavin. And my pops told me this, the one thing that we fail at the most and we work at the least is communication. And I find when I'm working with businesses as far as culture, every mm. time it's a communication breakdown. <laughs> That's all it is. How, would you, how do you determine if a culture is efficient? Like how do you look at cultural efficiency? I look at the results. Um, you know, the, the results can't lie. And, and I, when I say this, sometimes there's joy results. Sometimes there's financial results. I always believe, and this is just my own belief, I always believe that there needs to be something left on the table in every single deal that you do. And the reason why I say this is because if a negotiation or a situation is lopsided, it's going to come back on you at some point. And so with my negotiation, which I wouldn't suggest, I don't recommend this to people, I just do it myself. And my dad taught me this, if someone was paying you $2 an hour, give them $4 an hour worth of work. If they are buying your product at $50, it better be $150 or $200 worth of value. Not that you put the price tag, cross it out like we're seeing all today. Like, oh, it's $17,000 and today it's 93% off. That's just a lie, right? But what I am saying is, is that I, I believe that it, oh, there always needs to be something left on the table. Um, so when you're, when you're looking at the cultural efficiency aspect of it, is just look at the results, right? And so I think of it in four, four major areas. Number one, personal. Number two, professional. Number three, spiritual. Number four, financial, right? And so when we look at all those returns and all those results, are you getting the result that you want in those four? And I think that every company, every culture, we could look at it because there are, and Gavin, you know it better than me. There are so many founders out there and there are so many CEOs out there. There are so many entrepreneurs out there that are crushing it 
financially, but they're injuring the personal, the professional, or the pers- personal, the, the spiritual, and the, fina- uh, the, the, the other parts, right? And so we're never going to be perfect in this, but I would say when I look at a culture, I always ask the owner, where's our focus? And if they say the focus is the bottom line, <laughs> then I start to look to the people because the people have to understand that. And it doesn't mean that we don't need to be super highly profitable, but if you're going to be highly profitable, again, let's go back to the people and the people have to be filled up for them to be able to perform at a high level. You know, for me, like at our, at our height, we had 85 people in the company and, uh, and people got mad at me on this, but, um, we had meetings every Tuesday and every single person was in them and every single person had 15 seconds at the beginning of the meeting, uh, that they had to say who inspired them. It had to be specific. They had to say somebody's name and they had to encourage and celebrate somebody in the company. And when this happened, when this happened, when we did this and we did it for 15 years, what we found is then people were looking for the great things that other people were doing as opposed to trying to find out things that were wrong. And I find again, like, you know, for me, when we went to uh, virtual, um, which we did 15 years ago, we were doing those meetings virtual all over the country, every person in our company, whether it was in Chicago, Salt Lake, uh, Las Vegas, uh, California, all of them had to be on a call every, every Tuesday for the last 15 years. This would be pre-pandemic. So by the time we got to the pandemic, we were already okay with Zoom. We were already okay with those things. They had to look into the camera like this and they had to say, Gavin, I want to thank you because I think that you are absolutely phenomenal and the company that you created makes everyone's life easier. It had to be specific. And when we get specific with these type of compliments, now it connects people. And that's what truly culture is about. Culture is a, a, a an environment for sustainable growth. It's not a set of rules. And if we can do that and they have someone who's touchable and feelable, I mean, I tell you, it, it's it's magic. What And it, it works with 10-year-olds. I've done it. Chicken nugget makers. It works in multi-million dollar companies. I've done it. It works with Fortune 500 companies. It works with startups. Every single time it works, but it's the focus on the people and the presence of you being in it at that time. Mm. Um, so uh, if I was a founder looking at my company today, trying to assess my, my culture, where would you start in terms of assessing where the culture is? And then how do you take that feedback and then kind of produce an action plan? Well, my, my dad would always say that um, all he needs is uh, um, access to your wrist. <laughs> and, and I was always blown away. My pops was a very wise man, very great at what he did. But he would always say he needed access to the person's wrist and to the company's wrist. And I said, why? And he said, because what does a doctor do? The first thing that they do when they when you go to see him, they check your pulse. And if you can have access to the wrist of the organization, the wrist of the culture to feel the pulse, and the pulse is going to come from the people. And anytime someone comes in and has me assess their culture, I just ask for access to their people. And they're like, oh, well, we're going to have a gathering and a meeting. I'm like, no, no, let me get to the people. Let me go where the people work. Let me, let me hang out in those areas because you're going to hear or you're going to see the way that people really act as opposed to what you say the culture is on some placards in the back room that no one listens to anyway. And when you start, when you start to look at those kind of things, now, uh, some people are, uh, will f- from a founder standpoint, will say, well, that's easy to say when you're just looking from the outside and I'm dealing with it, but I'm dealing from both sides. So for what I would say to founders is number one, you got to be super intentional with your culture. You have to be super intentional and it can be, Hey, I want fun, but if you're just going to have fun, you can't come down on people for profitability. Now it can be fun with a profitability spin 
but that's got to be communicated. So what I would say is, you know, I would look at not only what the people are saying, but what they do. And this is the clear, this is the quickest actionable item that I could give to every founder, anyone in your company, walk through the hall, stop and ask them the core values of the company. If they cannot recite them, they are not your core values. I hear people all the time when I go into companies and they'll be like, our core values are 17 things. And then I was like, okay, cool. Well, what are they? And they're like, I'll send you the email. And it, you don't believe it. And I could tell you what our core values were when we started our company. Number one, show up on time. Number two, dress in black. Number three, smile. And number four, uh, Sweep up the hair. Uh, when you sweep up the hair into the dustpan, empty it out. We built a multi-million dollar company on four things that were very simple that everyone at any point could say, but they didn't just rent them, they owned them. And if your people do not own your core values, then they're just a bunch of words that are on a poster in the background. <laughs> How do you get them to own those values? I think they have to develop them, right? So mm -hmm. they have to be a part of it, right? And so again, it goes back to what's a procedure. Procedure is nothing more than a list of our screw-ups. And so I want you to list off. I want you to screw up. I want you to try things. And if it works, we'll write it down and it'll become something great. If it sucks, we'll write it down and it'll become something that we don't do anymore. But it'll be because of you and you'll have history inside that company. And when, I mean, Gavin, you can imagine it with, you know, with your company. If you, ha you had legacy people and you remember like this person, Dave did X and Dave was like, yeah, that was me. They've got to be a part of it. And when you get people to be a part of something, and I'll tell you this, the greatest organization that I ever created, the greatest one in my whole professional career is a team called the Chicken Nugget Makers. The Chicken Nugget Makers were 10-year-olds and it was like the bad news bears. I was the coach for the basketball team. And I told them when we started off, we were going to work on three things, Gavin. Number one, we're going to work on defense. Number two, rebounding. Number three, passing. Every kid that was 10 years old said, coach, what about scoring? I said, we're not going to focus on scoring. We're going to play defense. We're going to get rebounds. We're going to uh, pass. And what we did is we focused in on those three things. They only lost one game by three points, and then they won the championship. I could tell you this, every organization out there, simplify, 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 and get people involved. The more people are involved, the more that they'll want to innovate, and then they'll adapt to the things that they innovated anyway. Uh, what are the best sort of resources or books that have helped you along the way in terms of your, your, your culture approach? I think one of the uh, biggest one, there was one that was the, I think it was the wealthiest man alive or wealthiest man to ever live or richest man to ever live. It was, uh, it was a book about Solomon. And I think it was the book inside the book that really hit me. Um, it was a chronicle of Proverbs. And, um, you know, it was, it was Proverbs in the Bible and the guy was talking about it. And he said that he read the corresponding proverb for the corresponding day. And he said he did this over the course of a year and he tripled his income and it blew me away. So now every day I read the, uh, the corresponding proverb for the corresponding day. And so the corresponding proverb today was Proverbs three, because we're in March 3rd is when we we're recording. And when I read this, it was all about wisdom and that wisdom would bring you understanding. Understanding would bring you knowledge. Knowledge would bring you discretion and discretion would bring discipline. And so for me, that was probably one of the best. Um, I was raised, uh, you know, on the Augmandinos of the world and, uh, um, you know, uh, who am I thinking? Um, uh, Ken Blanchard, um, anything mm -hmm. by Ken Blanchard is absolutely phenomenal. Um, but I would say, honestly, I think every single founder out there, and I don't care what you believe. I'm, I'm not to say, I don't care what you believe, but I'm saying no matter what faith you're from, if you simply will take Proverbs, Proverbs, and just the corresponding proverb, corresponding day, I tell you, it will explode 
your business. It will explode. Mm. It will take your culture to a whole different place because Proverbs is the biggest and most high quality mirror that you will ever look into. And you'll see all the flaws in you. And once you fix you, you fix the joy in you, then you can transfer it to all the rest of the people that are around you. Brilliant. It's actually something similar that I do. So um, Daily Stoic, there's a, a Daily Stoic Twitter account where every day is like a different Stoic principle. So mm-hmm. I just open up Twitter every day, look at that principle, meditate on that particular sort of uh, thought process or philosophy. And um, de- definitely, definitely recommend doing that as well. Uh, so you, you obviously mentioned your pops, your, your, your dad. Who else would you say personal, someone close to you has been really influential in um, kind of where you are today? I think it's different people at different times, but throughout my life, uh, my, my best friend, Will, um, he's been with me since I was in four, uh, since I was in fourth grade, he was in fifth, um, best friend, uh, to the end. I just, you know, I just texted him this morning. I just told him, you know, you deserve everything in the world. Um, you're the best example of a friend that I could possibly imagine. Um, you know, my brother, my, uh, my, my brother, Rob, uh, he's an attorney. He's one of the top attorneys there in Las Vegas. And, um, he has just been a, a source of encouragement. He's not the guy that's going to, you know, pump you up all the time. And, but he's going to be the guy who tells you the real stuff. He's the stoic mm. guy. Like he's the, he's the guy that, you know, he's, he's encouraging when he needs to be. And, um, my buddy, Dave, um, my pops just passed away, uh, in December, December 19th. Oh, it's okay. You didn't do it, man. Um, so, <laughs> and, uh, and I got the last couple of days that I got to see my dad and spend time with him, which was absolutely phenomenal. Um, my buddy Dave, uh, I called and I said, I'm landing in Vegas. He said, I'll be there. And he made the time just to be there, drive me wherever I needed to go. And, mm. and it's, it's friends like that, uh, that know who you are, not what you've done and that appreciate yeah. you for that and that pump those things up. Those are the people that I like to keep around me because they are constantly pouring in. But I tell you, there's a list. I mean, uh, and a mile long. I told you before we started the podcast, I was going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life because my dad taught me, my pops taught me something. He said, you never know where someone's from. You never know where they're going and you never know where you'll meet up with them again. So make a friend out of everyone. Wow. Sounds like a wise man. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kelly. Um, Obviously, as I said, we have a, a mixture of sort of entrepreneurs, founders, um, CEOs, this thing. Where can they find you online? Uh, KellyCardenas.com uh, and then at the real Kelly Cardenas on Instagram. And please check out my TikTok because my TikTok <laughs> game is weak. And uh, my daughter, I would be a lot cooler to my 13-year-old daughter if I had uh, TikTok love. <laughs> so you doing dances on there as well? <laughs> None, none of that, man. None, no, I did a couple of them. They got a ton of views, but I was like, man, this is not me. I, but I mean, I love to dance. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I really, I mean, honestly, I guess if it would spread joy to people, I'd do it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where I want to be. I asked my daughter a couple years ago. Um, I asked her, what does daddy do? We were playing Legos. And I thought she was going to say, you're an author, you're a CEO, you're a founder, you're an entrepreneur, mm. all these things. And she just simply looked at me and she said, daddy, you make people happy. And then she went back to playing. And I realized at that point that that's what my, that's what I need to do. Mm. And whether it be through culture coaching, it be through consulting, through podcasting, whatever it is, as yeah. long as it's bringing joy to people, that's where I'm at. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly. 